Welcome to the Decent People Podcast, a production of Decentral Media, where we're committed to telling the stories of the founders, builders, and visionaries who are creating a new decentralized economy and internet experience. You guys know it as Web3 or blockchain, but we're going to bring you the smartest and most interesting people in the space for intimate conversations that reveal their background, how they got into crypto in the first place, and what they're doing today to make a decentralized future a reality. Thanks so much for joining us, and check out our site at Decentral.io. Now, to the show. Welcome back. This is another episode of the Decent People Podcast. I'm Steve Ladin, your host. This week we have Jeff Dorman, the CFA of ARCA. Uh, he leads the investment committee and is responsible for uh, portfolio sizing and risk management. He's got over 17 years of trading and asset management experience at world-renowned firms, including Merrill Lynch and Citadel Securities, where he oversaw trading of over $100 million in proprietary capital. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thank me. Uh, our pleasure. So maybe just to, to kind of back up and, you know, Obviously, this is a podcast uh, centered around crypto and cryptocurrency, uh, but I understand you have a, a deep uh, background in banking. Curious, you know, was that always your path? Did you want to start out doing something else? What sort of led you on that journey and, you know, how did it bring you to your present role? Yeah, sure. So, so you know. Long time ago, uh, uh, I guess twenty-year career now across uh, uh, Wall Street and, and fintech. Um, yeah, I, I, right out of college, I was in finance and economics. Went into investment banking uh, in New York. Um, you know, always really enjoyed kind of the the, the minutia of finance. You know, breaking down companies' balance sheets, income statements, trying to figure out where the value was. Um, you know, from investment banking, where we were working with, you know, trying to to uh, help companies raise capital. Um, to eventually uh, trading a credit book at Merrill Lynch, you know, from investment grade bonds down to high yield distressed, um, you know, everything in the first 10 years of my career, really, really first 14 years of my career um, was all just about value investing and understanding how companies finance themselves and, and where that value ultimately is. Um, I left Wall Street in 2014 um, and helped start a fintech company called Harvest Exchange. And, and that's really the first time that I branched outside of just the investing world. Um, and what was interesting is we had about 10 full stack developers working with, working with us at Harvest. And a lot of them were mining for Bitcoin. A lot of them were mining for Ethereum. They were all using open source code uh, um, on GitHub. And it was interesting because I had heard of Bitcoin already. Um, you know, from a macro lens, from a, you know, here's some inflation hedge, here's a you know, sound money. But I'd never thought of it from a more of a developer tool until I saw the, the devs, you know, working with it and talking about, um, you know, the actual code. So that was how I got involved personally, um, again, back in like 2016, 2017. Um, it, it was only when I moved to LA in 2018 that I thought, or sorry, in 2017, that I thought that there was potentially more to this from a, a career standpoint, more than just sort of a hobby. Um, and that was because out here in LA, nobody, nobody really has jobs out here. Everyone just uh, works on side projects. And every single person I, moved, I, I met out here was involved in digital assets in some way, shape or form. Either they were writing code or they were investing at the venture level or um, you know, they were participants in the community. 
And it just started to make a lot more sense to me once we got beyond Bitcoin and started to recognize that, oh, this is actually a technology that ultimately is going to replace the entire financial system. Um, and as a result, it meant that all of the tools that I had developed for 15 years investing and in breaking down companies and projects was going to be relevant to this space as well. But there wasn't really anybody like me in the industry doing it. The people in the industry were, you know, either early software developers who got into like Bitcoin or Ethereum, or they were, you know, uh, uh, VCs right out of San Francisco, um, you know, just investing in anything that, that had the word crypto in it. There wasn't really anybody who knew how to break down a company or look at a balance sheet or an income statement or look at revenues and cash flows and how that might accrue to a token or look at different token properties and how those are going to uh, trade differently. So we saw the white space and I thought it was, you know, no brainer uh, just where we were headed in this industry and, and, and how much we could do from an investing standpoint. Fascinating. And so so was that really the motivation then you you, you to to leave Wall Street, start Harvest? It, it was you saw that crypto digital assets were the future and that was you're like, all right, it made, this is the next evolutionary step for me and my career. Yeah. In fact, a lot of people, in my opinion, misuse the word revolutionary. I always use the word that you use, which is evolutionary. I, I always thought that this was not anything necessarily brand new. It was just the next iteration of what was to come. Right. We went from, um, you know, a uh, 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 4 p.m. closed mutual funds to eventually, you know, a uh, 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 ETFs that trade, you know, throughout the day on the exchange and the next iteration was going to be 24 seven, you know, blockchain based assets. And the uh, just the flexibility within these smart contracts to basically program whatever you wanted basically meant that you could turn anything into an investment vehicle. Right. So we'd been we, we, we had been conditioned as investors to think that investing was basically, you know, property or stocks or bonds or commodities or, or currencies. Right. But you know, very few were thinking about, well, what if I wanted to invest in IP or what if I wanted to invest in someone's brand or what if I wanted to invest in, you know, other um, uh, intangibles? You know, those are the things that are not possible through blockchain. So it opened up the world from a trading standpoint because of the technology, the idea of peer to peer and 24 and, seven. And it also opened up the world in terms of being able to put just about any asset inside here. Um, you know, and, and what excited me was I never really thought of digital assets as an asset class. I was always, I always thought of it as, well, wow, every single asset class, including new ones, are going to be tucked into these new blockchain-based wrappers. Um, you know, and and that was really exciting because it just opens up the possibility to just so many more investments. Um, you know, and as as a as a as a fund manager or as an investor on behalf of others as a fiduciary. You know, I, I get excited by the investment opportunity set, right? When there is a, a growing investment opportunity set, but not really growing competition, you know, that's that's the kind of place you hang your, your hat for your career and, and, you know, spend the next 20 years doing this until you walk into the sunset. Amen. And, and in, in that way, then, do you think as we continue to move forward with digital assets and cryptocurrency as a whole, uh, is there, can anything be an asset? Or are we going to see new and different assets that we didn't even, or new and different uh, intangible commodities become assets that we didn't think would possibly be quantified or, or classified as assets? Yeah, I mean, as a starting point, I like to look at the ETF as an example, right? The ETF itself is not an asset class. The ETF was a package that you could put anything inside of, right? So you had, it started with just like, you know, S&P index funds that you can invest in through an ETF. Then eventually you had bond ETFs and you had sector ETFs, like a healthcare ETF. You had commodity ETFs. You had 
uh, currency ETFs, right? Basically anything could be fit into an ETF. Um, the same thing is true in, in digital assets, right? The first type of a digital asset was Bitcoin, that was a currency. But most of the additional uh, uh, tokens that have come about have nothing to do with cryptocurrency. In fact, they don't even use the word cryptocurrency. You know, I think there, there's asset-backed tokens. There are pass-through tokens, which are basically just vehicles that pass through revenues and cash flows directly to the token holders. Um, you know, you have different sectors, right? We've had NFTs and gaming, DeFi, Web3, um, social tokens. You know, and I think what we're ultimately learning is um, forget this decentralized, you know, vision that everyone talks about, uh, uh, you know, with regard to Bitcoin. The reality is this is just going to be an extension of any organization's capital structure. So instead of just having debt and equity on your balance sheet or in your cap structure, rather, now you're going to have debt, equity and your token. So your debt becomes your claim on assets, your to your equity becomes your claim on cash flows and your token becomes your claim on intangibles or network growth. And you can see how this can go well beyond what we've seen today. So, for example, you know, Disney will have a token one day and that to that Disney token will have a bigger market cap than their equity because the equity is just a place to uh, uh, distribute their cash flows. But the token can give you discounts on Disney Plus. It can give you, you know, different ride access at their parks. It can give you, um, you know, uh, first dibs on new content that they create. Um, it can give you interactive experiences with Disney characters. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do with a token that right now Disney doesn't have any way to monetize. Um, Netflix, Starbucks, United Airlines, uh, you know, uh, DoorDash. I mean, you name it, right? All these communities that, um, you know, a select few equity holders have made all their money, but none of the customers uh, who basically make these companies what they are, are benefiting in any real way, shape or form. And that's where we're headed. And then once you pull that wrapper back, you're like, okay, well, why stop at companies? You know, what about municipalities? You know, in, instead of me paying just generic taxes, um, why doesn't a, you know, city issue a token that is used to build up a park? And if you own the token to that park, you get, you know, special nights out, music in the park, or you get, you know, dibs on your kids' birthday parties, or um, maybe it extends to the airport and you get to, you know, have priority access to the airport if you're a token holder of that city. Why can't universities do the same thing? Why can't there be, you know, UCLA token where if you buy it when your kid is born and 18 years later, they can use it for tuition. And if they don't go there, they can trade it for Notre Dame coin or Harvard coin. Um, you know, individuals are going to issue tokens, you know, and, and monetize future earnings cycles. Or, or, you know, if you're in the celebrity athlete uh, influencer world, you know, you can monetize other things. So it just the, the, the opportunity set is just massive with regard to who the token issuers are going to be and how these tokens ultimately connect with, you know, their, their constituents. Um, so anyway, we, we, with that said, and, you know, Bitcoin is fine. It's interesting, but it's, 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 it's so, you know, it's so not important to me in the scheme of what ultimately is happening with digital assets. Well, it sounds, it sounds like uh, Bitcoin in this case is, is sort of the basic, the basic uh, crypto, you know, asset at this point, you know, the, the, the one that most folks can identify with, but is perhaps the most uh, generic and least exciting to, to your point. Yeah, I think so. And again, Bitcoin is fine. It's just, I think a lot of people, especially when they're early to digital assets, they, they just think Bitcoin is the market or is the only part of the market. And they get very myopic or very kind of focused on, do I understand Bitcoin or, you know, do I, maybe I don't understand it, but my friends are telling me to buy it. So I have to own some. Uh, there's just a lot more there than just Bitcoin, right? It doesn't make Bitcoin bad or good. It just means it's not at all, all encompassing, right? It is just one part of an overall technolo technological ecosystem. Um, and, and I think, you know, we're, we're probably heading to a world one day where 
you don't even ever own cash ever again, right? The only reason we own cash is because we need to pay bills or we need to spend. Um, ideally, you would always be fully invested at all times, right? I mean, there's, you know, lately in the last 20, 30 years, only the select few rich have been able to invest in, you know, real estate and equities and things like that to make money. Um, and it's because people need their disposable income. They need to, you know, they, they get their paychecks, their earnings, they need to immediately spend it on their rent and their you know, food and stuff like that. So you always have to have this cash cushion. And as a result, you get left out of the growth and appreciation of assets. But if you can be 100% invested at all times, but all of your investments are also payment vehicles where you can spend, you know, your Tesla equity or you can spend the, you know, fractionalized ownership of your house, uh, then you never have to own cash. And everyone's just going to have all of their assets on, you know, in digital wallets represented on their phone. You won't need banks. You won't need brokerage accounts. And your investments will be fully fluid. Um, and as a result, you know, you again, you just start to expand what an investment means, right? All of a sudden, your car becomes an investment, your jewelry, your, you know, art collections, your, um, you know, even the, your data uh, on, on websites can be a monetizable asset. Um, and all these things can be represented on blockchain and ultimately have value that can be used as collateral or for trading. So it's just, you know, I'm not suggesting this is right around the corner, but I think it's fairly inevitable at this point that that's where we're headed in the next 10 to 20 years. Hmm. And, and I love your point on, on you know, the, the token versatility and how that could impact just a variety of different sectors from anywhere, as you said, from from Disney to universities to colleges. Do you think then there will be a movement to be first in on a lot of these tokens once these institutions and companies start to issue and distribute them. I'm sorry. Do I think what specifically? What? There, there, there will be a uh, a movement or a push, if and maybe there are, is already to be first in to be the first, you know, token holders in, in all of these scenarios. Yeah, I think it's actually the opposite. I think nobody wants to be first, um, but at the same time, nobody really wants to be last. So right. I think. You know, there's a couple of roadblocks to getting there, right? First and foremost is the educational barrier, right? Most people still think digital assets is just Bitcoin and just haven't figured out that these other possibilities exist. Um, two is the U, at least here in the U.S., the regulatory uh, environment is just so unclear that it's hard to just go out there and say I'm going to issue a token and not really understand how that's going to be treated from an accounting standpoint or from a regulatory stand, regulatory standpoint. Um, and then three, which is really an extension of two, is you know, there's no investment bankers pitching these ideas yet, right? There's nobody going to United Airlines and Delta and Netflix and Disney saying, hey, this is something you need to issue. Um, you know, but I think once slowly but surely, once you start to see these these companies kind of rip the bandaid off, then then you'll see the floodgates open, right? Because like I said, you know, very few want to be first, but nobody wants to be last. Right, right. 100%. Uh, on that tip, then, you know, it, it, it also seems you have a really good uh, perspective and, and call it clarity on where you think the, the industry is going to go and, and just the communities uh, that will be built moving forward. How much of your Wall Street background has enabled you to kind of see the forest from the trees here and actually uh, with, with, it seems, uh, pretty fair, you know, accuracy continue to predict uh, how digital assets will continue to unfold? Yeah, well, I mean, the Wall Street background helps in, in, in a couple of ways, right? One is just understanding how companies finance themselves, right? When you understand why a company issues debt or why they issue equity and why they need money to build projects, 
it's the same thing, right? Digital assets at the end of the day are just another capital formation tool. The difference is you're forming that capital from a different constituent of, of, of investors, right? Instead of just passive debt and equity holders, now you have passionate community members and users. Um, so, you know, it certainly helps kind of just understand the motivation and the way a company finances itself. Um, and, and from an investing standpoint, it, it certainly helps because, you know, there, there's just because you have a good company doesn't mean you have a good token and vice versa. Um, in the same way that, you know, sometimes you have the best company in the world, but they're saddled with debt and their stock gets crushed. And sometimes you have the worst company in the world, but it becomes the best, you know, debt investment ever. Uh, the same thing is true in the token world, right? You can have good, like, like basic attention token and the Brave browser is a good example. Um, the Brave browser is really successful. You know, it's doing well. It's actually challenging uh, Chrome and Safari. Um, but they built the Bat token into it and it has absolutely no value accrual mechanism. It's completely useless. So, you know, good company, bad token. Um, if they could do that again, they probably would and do it differently. Um, so, you know, understanding how these tokens actually accrue economic value is important from a, from a finance investing standpoint, um, you know, on top of whatever utility or benefit you might have for owning that token. Got it. Got it. And, and just as a whole, you know, from making the switch again, back to wall street days to now, would it be accurate to say then that digital assets as a whole you kind of view those as opportunity, you know, it's just a perhaps in a different classification than traditional forms of finance. It, digital assets represent opportunity in, in new and different ways. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's opportunity for the issuers. Like I said, there's all these different issuer types now who can do it, but it's also opportunities from the investing side, which is, um, you know, if I give 10 equity analysts all the exact same information, they're probably going to give me the exact same output because they're all trained the exact same way. They all know exactly how to value a stock. If you give 10 pretty smart people in digital assets, the exact same inputs, they're probably going to give you wildly different outputs. Um, and that's just because there is no agreed upon valuation technique. It doesn't mean there are no values. There's plenty of value. It's just, there's no agreed upon valuation technique. So people are all over the place with regard to how they think these tokens are worth and why they would buy it or why they wouldn't buy it. Um, and that's where the opportunity lies. Um, and typically, when you see something that has this much return potential, like we've seen over the last three years, and this unique uh, of, a, of an investment set with regard to the different types of tokens and issuers, usually you just have a floodgate of new people coming in to invest in it. But for a variety of reasons, we just haven't seen that. Right? And that's why I said earlier, the sweet spot for me as an investor is a growing opportunity set with not growing competition. And, and that's just where we sat for the last three or four years. Right? The big guys who control most of the world's money are just not in this space in any meaningful capacity. Yet. Mm. Mm. But, th but the assumption here is that they will be uh, at some point. Yeah, I think they will be, but also it's just, it gives, you know, it's, it's one of the first, I and mean, they, they absolutely are coming and will come. And, you know, we're, we're seeing the dollars flow every day into our funds and into other areas. Um, you know, even this year is a good example, right? I mean, you know, Bitcoin, just using it as a proxy for a second, Bitcoin is down less than the NASDAQ year to date. But Bitcoin was also up, you know, five to 10x over the NASDAQ over the last two years. I mean, that's the exact kind of risk reward that investors look for. They want something that has most or all of the upside with less of the downside. And, you know, digital assets are proving to be that kind of an asset class. So, um, you know, the money is absolutely coming in. Um, but, you know, I think even more importantly, maybe, is the talent is pouring in, right? The big banks and brokerages and asset management, like they're just losing people left and right to this space. Um, and what's really cool from a regular person or investor standpoint is, you know, 
they have access to all the same information and deals that we do. I mean, we're getting all of our information from, you know, publicly scraped data and, and Twitter. And, um, you know, it's one of the first opportunities where a regular everyday investor with a couple hundred bucks on a, you know, Coinbase account or on a, uh, you know, crypto.com account or, or on a DEX can, you know, do the same thing that everyone else is doing. Um, and, and in some cases, way more experienced than the actual professional investors. Um, you know, so it's, 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 it's a pretty cool kind of, uh, uh, you know, groundswell and sort of grassroots effort into a, a new area of investing. So, so in many ways, it's sort of digital assets and, and cryptocurrency. It's, it's more of a level playing field, you would say, than traditional finance. I think 100%. Yeah. Fascinating. Now, Jeff Dorman, the kid, did he, did he ever dream or imagine that working in the digital assets space would be, was that even a thought? Was that even a concept? I mean, you, when you, younger you, what were, what were the motivations, you know, to later in life, did, did you ever picture that this is what you would be doing? Well, I mean, I, I would have to have been pretty, uh, uh, had a pretty strong ability to see the future when I was <laughs> right. a kid. Cause that's, that's, uh, you know, I'm 42 years old now. Ball, exactly. Uh, I still feel young, but I'm 42 years old. Um, no, I, I think, I mean, look, there's always things you do in your life that prepare you for where you end up. Uh, it's for instance, like I used to love collecting baseball cards. Um, you know, I, I don't do it anymore, but I certainly understood NFTs faster than the others, just because I understood the, you know, craziness around collectibles. Um, you know, I always, I, I remember I used to, uh, when I was 13 years old, I was scalping tickets to our high school football games because we could buy them in the local, uh, at, at school, you could buy them for $2 and out front of the game, you could sell them for $4. Um, so I used to make that spread. So, you know, I was, I was financially minded by 13 years old, which obviously kind of dovetailed into the, the, the interest I had in finance. Um, so little things like that, but, but I mean, there's, there's certainly, you know, growing up as a, a kid outside of Cleveland, Ohio, um, you know, pre-internet, certainly wasn't thinking about, you know what, I wonder when blockchain is going to exist and how it's going to, you know, be the future of how we connect with each other um, and, 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 you know, turn intangible assets into, into viable assets. So uh, I, I wouldn't say I saw the future, but I, uh, I certainly um, I'm happy that I'm here now. Totally. And so, so in many ways then though, your, your background in uh, your early odds of turning a profit and your background in collecting have helped put you in the mindset to understand how an NFT could derive its value and, and, and why people find that to be uh, something that is desirable. Yeah, I think so. Um, but I also think, you know, at the end of the day, the most successful investors I've seen in this space are just very open-minded people. Um, I, you know, I, almost every single person I know has come into digital assets in the same way, right? They first heard about it and they thought it was bullshit and thought it was, you know, they were skeptical and didn't want to touch it. And, um, you know, eventually they, um, you know, said, you know, I kind of understand why others would use it, but it's not for me. And then eventually they have to make a decision whether or not they want to get involved themselves or not. Um, but the people who ultimately still are on the sidelines and haven't gotten involved are the ones who just can't keep an open mind or, or, or just cannot see that there could be some other way to do things. And it's really, for me, it's almost like a game. Like when I go into a large pension fund now, or I go into an endowment and, you know, there's always one or two, you know, super excited crypto investors who are trying to pitch the rest of their team. And there's always the one or two kind of skeptics who just don't believe it. And they're just going to sit there kind of angry that they're even in the meeting. And one by one, you can see when that light bulb goes off and one of those skeptics kind of says, you know, what? you just 
you just said something that clicked with me that, you know, I, I kind of understand how digital assets are reshaping what we used to think equity meant or what we used to think of a capital structure. Um, and when you kind of have those aha moments, um, it's, it's, it's pretty powerful. And I think, um, you know, to me, it's, it's just exciting when you see that kind of traction um, and that kind of adoption start to come one by one. Um, because like I said, in, in my opinion, whether maybe I am seeing the future now, but in my opinion, like it's inevitable and it's just a matter of how fast we get there. Sure, sure. So is there is there a, a typical pattern or something specific when you're in those meetings and people are some you said, you, you know, something clicks and and people see the, the broader landscape? Is there a trend or a commonality between what people seem to resonate with when that light bulb goes off for them? Um, yeah, in fact, I actually, it's funny, I, I, I just a couple of weeks ago, I wrote a blog basically writing down exactly what those things are, that, you know, what's driving some of those aha moments, because I was like, well, you know, why do I get to be privy to these, but other people don't? So I started just to put them down one by one. Um, but I think um, inevitably, it is usually based on um, starting with just understanding kind of stakeholder alignment, right, that, that you can have a company like McDonald's, and you might have absolutely zero overlap between the shareholders and the customers, right? The customers don't own the stock, the stockholders don't eat the food. And you might be like, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I guess I never thought about that. And then you start to say, well, that's the opposite of what's happening in digital assets. In digital assets, the stakeholders are the customers. They're the users. They're the ones who are powering these communities. Um, and you start to then make people start to question, well, wait a minute, maybe that's better. Maybe it's better to have all the stakeholders um, aligned and wanting to see the financial upside, right? Like, you know, if I go into a restaurant and I have a nice meal, I'd rarely leave and be like, you know what? I really hope that company succeeds. I couldn't care less. I got my meal. I was a mercenary. I go in and out. Right? There's no alignment whatsoever. Um, you know, I, I think all the time, like, and think about like a typical Saturday or a Sunday and all the things you might do. How much actual economic interest do you have in the things that you're doing, right? If you go to a bar or you go, uh, you know, to a park or you go to a, a, a store or a shop, like, you rarely are aligned in any way, shape, or form with the things that you do on a daily basis. But that's changing now with digital assets. So we start to say that, and then that starts to really resonate um, with investors. You know, the other is is talking about valuation, right? Talking about how, um, you know, look at the equity world. You have to wait three months for a, for a quarterly earnings announcement in a 10Q, right? Which means that if something happens on April 1st, you're likely not going to hear about it until end of July or early August at the earliest. Right. It's going to take at least three months for the earnings cycle. And then, you know, then here we get real time data all the time. Right. I can look on a blockchain explorer and, and plug in an API and get real time information on almost every investment that we're making. It's basically like getting an 8K every day, um, you know, and then we can take that information and we can uh, uh, plug it into investment models based on the growth and how this revenues or cash flows or, or you know, utility functions flow back to the token holders. Um, you know, so you just go one by one and you start to kind of break down these preconceived notions that investors have that, oh, it's all just cryptocurrency or, oh, it doesn't have any value or, oh, you know, it's, 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 it's just a fad. And, and you start to break it down and they start to realize, oh, okay, that actually maybe what I've been investing in is not so great. And maybe this is a better way to do it. Um, so, you know, it doesn't mean that you know, these big investors all of a sudden just pull their money out of the debt and equity market and just flood it into digital assets. But, you know, you slowly start to break down those barriers and the money starts to flow. Makes makes complete sense. And and one thing that you mentioned that I think is fascinating, too, is the future of people making more 
don't want to say informed choices, but making different choices based on to your point of alignment of society. So if it, it, it seems then that there could be a, a future shift where people are making choices where they eat, how they spend their money, knowing that there could be these other benefits to how they're spending their money if they go to certain restaurants or buy certain products or, you know, they, it's almost like they can shape their world in a different way based on the economic choices that they make. Yeah. And it, and it reminds me of, um, you know, Facebook famously 15 years ago, I think they came out and they, they said, you know, one of their growth hacking techniques, Facebook figured out very early that if their customers followed 10 friends and liked 10 posts in the first week, that they were likely to be a sticky customer for life. So everything Facebook did was designed from a UI and UX standpoint and a marketing standpoint to basically trick their customers into doing those two things. But those customers got no benefit from doing those things, right? It was all Facebook shareholders who got it. Well, the same thing is now true in the digital asset world. Right? These companies and projects are figuring out what actions do I want our customers to do? And now we're going to reward you with the tokens for doing that. And we're going to basically um, uh, make you an active participant and turn you into a customer for life, but also an evangelist because you are going to make money as this project works and takes off because you own the token. Um, that, that's just a, you know, a much better way to bootstrap and grow a company, in my, in, in my opinion, um, is instead of, you know, uh, 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 taking from one pocket to the other, like, like Facebook, right? They, they, take for, they take your user data, they take your actions, and they give it to your shareholders. Now, you're all just one group of people. You, know, you as the user and as the, 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 the data, are uh, the, the, the quasi-shareholder. Um, so yeah, to me, this is just a better model and it's just a matter of time before it, it, it really uh, penetrates all of finance. Totally. And it, and it feels much more, um, organic and, and kind of community driven than anything commerce has ever really had before. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and I think, um, you know, it, it's just like I said earlier, it's, it's the, this idea of monetizing the intangibles, right? If, you know, you, you just don't need to separate your Starbucks points from your Starbucks shares. You don't need to separate Amazon Prime from Amazon shares. You don't need to separate, you know, Delta uh, Sky Miles from Delta shares. Like they can all be one entity where everybody is now aligned for a common good. Um, and I think that's, you know, the, 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 the best scenario for companies and projects. I think it's the best scenario for investors and customers. Um, and ultimately, it probably closes the wealth inequality gap because now all of a sudden, regular people are going to have access to the same thing that the, the, the rich have had for, you know, millennia. Eons, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Jeff, uh, this has been fantastic. Maybe just to, to wrap, uh, Arca moving forward, you know, what, what can we expect? What's, what's on the horizon? What do you guys uh, have coming through that's kind of related to everything you just mentioned in terms of alignment and uh, forward thinking and, and all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, our Arca is growing pretty fast. We've, we've, uh, we've done pretty well and also have uh, uh, you know, some new investors coming in and a lot of new employees. So, you know, on the investing front, we continue to kind of push the boundaries of, of what investment funds can do in this space. So, you know, we started just as a token investor, but then we launched uh, a yield fund, for example, where we are just uh, um, you know, finding ways to generate a, a yield in more of a market neutral way. We have an NFT fund where we're investing in the actual NFTs. I'm sure we'll, you know, continue to, I'm sure we'll continue to, um, you know, have new strategies as well um, as the market continues to grow and evolve. And, you know, also we're, we're, we're pushing the envelope with regard to 
the regulated and registered side of, of finance as well. You know, for instance, we put out a white paper recently talking about uh, a new product that we built called the BTF, the Blockchain Transferred Fund, which is really exactly like the ETF from a structure standpoint. Um, you know, legally it looks like an ETF, but the difference is instead of the shares trading, you know, through a bank or a brokerage account, now the shares trade as tokens that are, you know, peer to peer. So these little kind of, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, evolutionary uh, uh, advancements in what we've always invested in uh, is what you can expect from ARCA in the future. Just, just you know, we want to be synonymous with digital assets and finance. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for your time. This has been uh, a great, great addition to the Decent People podcast. I'm Steve Lyon, your host, and uh, Jeff Dorman, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of Decent People. Thanks so much for listening. Check the show notes for more information on our guests today. And make sure to look us up on the web at decentral.io. That's D-E-C-E-N-T-I-A-L.io. And on Twitter, at Decentral. Have a great day. <laughs>